Let's open to God's Word. Galatians chapter 2. We are in a series at Crossway. Church that is studying Paul's letter to the Galatians. And this message that I've adapted was for your purposes this morning. Uh, was given at Crossway on Memorial Day weekend. going to be reading from chapter 2, verses 15 to the end of the chapter. Let's read what Paul wrote to the Galatians, what God speaks to us through, through His Word. Verse 15 of chapter 2. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. And not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners... Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live In the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Would you pray with me? Lord, we we read these words and we desire to have you address us from... Your word. Thank you for, for the good news, the gospel. Thank you for the truth of the gospel that Paul painstakingly, carefully explains again for his dear, this dear church in Galatia. Lord, I pray that this morning we would not only understand afresh the truth of the gospel, we would apply the truth of the Gospel to our lives. And having applied it daily, having applied it multiple times during the day, through faith in Christ, we would enjoy the freedom of living for God. We would enjoy the joy, Lord, of putting our faith in Christ as our acceptance and our righteousness. Lord, we would truly be gospel-centered in exercising faith in Christ and not our performance for your approval and acceptance. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the time of year where, like you perhaps, I am giving attention to Home repairs. I'm not a particularly handy man, but one 
way I seek to serve my family is painting. I'm not a very good painter, so I employ other people when I paint. And one part of our house that needs to be painted is our kitchen. We have wallpaper that needs to be stripped in our kitchen, and then paint needs to be added. I had a good teacher as a painter prior to moving to Massachusetts. One of my colleagues, as I taught at a, a local high school, his summer job was that of a painter. And one summer I was in his kitchen and living room and I noticed this dear friend who's also a professional parent or something, that his ceiling was peeling. And there were, there were bubbles in underneath what had been painted. And I said, George, George, how is it that you, this, this sought-after professional painter, can have a, a kitchen and a living room that is in such disrepair? Kind of had a sheepish look on his face. He said, well, before I became a professional painter, I was just a painter. And I painted our house. And what I didn't realize is that before you put the second coat on, you have to let the first coat dry completely. In my haste, I threw a first coat onto the kitchen ceiling and walls and a first coat on a living room ceiling. And then before it was completely dry, I painted quickly a second coat and the second coat didn't adhere to what was painted. What does that have to do with Galatians? There's no mention of painting in chapter 1 of Galatians. When I became a Christian, by God's grace, I was converted uh, as a senior in high school uh, through a, a church plant that was planted by Arthur DeMoss, Nancy DeMoss's father. He was an evangelist. Arthur DeMoss has now gone to be with the Lord. They were very effective at equipping youth to take the gospel into public schools, since they were public schools, share it with knuckleheads like me, and see the power of God literally rescue youth that were dead in their sins and bring them to Christ. And so I heard the gospel through George Humpshire, who was formerly this drug pusher and crazy man, converted by the power of the gospel there in study hall, brought to the church where I heard again, was converted that night, and then was introduced to their discipleship class immediately following my conversion. It was called CORE. Now what you need to know about me is that that as someone who was recently born again and introduced to the message of salvation, that I really didn't understand grace at all. I knew I was born again. I knew Christ had forgiven me of my sins. I knew the Holy Spirit was living in me. I mean, but, but if you would ask me to explain grace, I didn't have a clue. And yet I was now being introduced to a very robust, very intentional, thought-out discipleship plan where it's being taught Bible study, and prayer, and my need to go evangelize, and I need to now go to a church that preaches the gospel, and I need to give so much money to that church, and this is all in the Bible, and I need to be serving. And, and so, discipleship was laid over the foundation of the gospel very quickly. In fact, I would submit to you, before the paint had dried properly on a foundation of grace. And so, believe it or not, for many years, not just a few my, I lived my life as if discipleship was the basis for which God accepted me, my forgiveness was secure, and, and His pleasure was found, rather than the gospel of grace. And so when I was doing well in discipleship, I would have, you would have heard from me this sense of 
God is for me. God is happy with me. God is blessing me. And when I was doing poorly in discipleship and struggling with condemnation and guilt seemed to be crowding in on every corner, I felt not only God was against me, but frankly, I started to not want to spend any time with God. Paul's message to the Galatians in chapter 2 is, is, not, is not a message of so much as discipleship, but it is a, a reminder to them. If they as Christians, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, are going to live every day free from the guilt of sin, if they as Christians are going to live free from the guilt due to sin, their remaining sin, they must place their faith daily in Jesus Christ, who is their justification. They must place their faith daily in Jesus Christ, who is their acceptance. If they are going to live Christian life free from the guilt of sin, free from condemnation, free from the conscience that accuses daily, they are going to have to place their faith daily in Christ, who is justification or acceptance before God. The context of the passage we read follows Paul's recounting to the Galatians in verses 14 and 15 of Peter's hypocrisy. Following a visit to Jerusalem by Paul, Peter visits Paul's church in Antioch of Syria, a church that was on the rise and constituted by primarily Gentiles or non-Jewish converts to Christianity. Peter visits Paul's church in Antioch and initially, worshiping with them, he, he spends time in their homes. He even takes meals from them, from non-Jewish Gentiles, meaning, meaning in their home, whatever food they served, he ate and ate gladly, giving thanks for it. But then he recounts at the end of uh, verse 14-15 that some Jewish Christians from James, from the, from the church in Jerusalem, visit Antioch to check up on Peter. And, and apparently, what Phil Riken calls the James gang, the, the James gang began to say in so many words to Peter, Peter, knock it off. You're Jewish as well as a Christian. You're, you're spending time in the home with uncircumcised Gentiles. You're eating the food that they're putting out. You're, 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 you're not obeying the, the food laws of the Old Testament. Now, what makes this fascinating is that, that well, Paul tells us that Peter, listening apparently to the James gang, separates himself from, from the Gentiles. He stops hanging out with them. He stops eating their food. He withdraws from them. Now, Peter should have known better because in Matthew, I believe it's chapter 13, Jesus himself explains to Peter that it's not what goes into us by way of food that defiles a man. It's what comes out of us. I mean, Peter, right there in the Gospel, asked Jesus a question where he explains the food laws are obsolete. And then, of course, there's the vision. God gives Peter personally in, in Acts. What is it, chapter 10 or 11? He's taking a nap on a rooftop and down comes this great sheet full of animals that, that would be unclean for a, a Jew to eat or touch. 
It would defile them. It would violate the Old Testament teachings. And he hears this voice. It's the voice of the Lord. Kill and eat. Kill and eat. Kill and eat. And after three times, this vision comes. Peter gets the message. And he goes as a result and shares the Gospel with Cornelius and his household. All Gentiles. And they're the first Gentile conversions in the New Testament. Peter should have known this. I want to submit to you, Peter did know this. He knew the food laws no longer applied. He knew grace. But when men from James came, Paul says, Peter, you acted hypocritically. You didn't, you didn't act based on what you believe. You didn't act based on what you knew was true. Your behavior, your actions towards the Gentile believers isn't because you don't believe. Your actions indicate you're not applying the truth of the Gospel to all the relationships in your life. I think that's where we begin this morning. Galatians is written to believers. And many of you who have been in this church or if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know the truths of the Gospel. You know not only that Christ died for your sins, but that it is through faith in Christ that your sins have been forgiven and that you are acceptable before God. There's nothing we add. There's nothing we do. There's no performance we can provide that will increase God's approval of us. We are declared righteous in God's eyes through faith in Christ. It is a gift from God. We know that. Peter knew that. Peter's problem wasn't what he knew. Peter's problem was he chose not to apply it daily. Many times in one day, perhaps, in his relationships with others and in his relationships with God. That's what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is knowing something be true and you don't do it. My first point this morning is that we must apply every day the truth of the Gospel in our lives. We must do it. I don't say we must know it. I'm assuming we know it. We're going to look at what we should know in just a moment. But we must do something every day in order to live the truth of God. What? We must apply it. Our lives. Peter believed Jesus was the Messiah. Peter believed Jesus died on the cross for his sins. The, the James gang probably believed Jesus was their Messiah and died on the cross from their sins. Pete, what Peter failed to do was he failed to apply the truth of the Gospel to his life. Question, where in my life, where in my life am I tempted to work to earn God's approval? Where in my life am I tempted to work to earn God's approval. And, and how do I daily go about renewing my faith in Christ alone for God's approval? How do I do that? What does that look like? How do I go about daily renewing my faith in Christ alone for God's approval? Let's look specifically at the text. Verses 15 and 16. Paul writes, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Yet we know that a person 
is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 16 begins with with Paul saying, we know this. And then, in turn, he introduces for the first time in this letter a very important word, a word that many of you know and understand well, but a word that we would do well to remind ourselves of daily. Paul says he knows, this is what he knows, he knows that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. He wants the Galatians to know this. God, this morning, is asking me and you, do we know this? Do we know, can I explain how a holy God accepts me today through faith in Christ? What does justification mean? Justification is a legal term. It's taken from the the courtroom. I believe this is Tim Keller. Now I'm quoting It means to be acquitted and cleared of all charges and proclaimed innocent by a Recently, I'm going to share this. It's a flattering illustration. I don't have permission to share it, but I love her, and you just have to trust me that. My wife got a speeding ticket. She was late to church, and she had the hammer down. (laughs) And as she came over the bridge in Attleboro and went down there, sat Lieutenant whoever, with that little cheesy gun of his, and he nailed her. He nailed her. I mean, it was, I think it's a 25 zone, and she was, it was exponentially something higher. (laughs) First speeding ticket in eight years in Massachusetts. Not the most wanted speed fugitive, certainly, in the Commonwealth. But it was counseled to her, well, why don't you appeal it? It's your first ticket. So she went, went to the judge, said she was guilty. I'm guilty as charged. Plead it, and the judge said, you know what? It's your first ticket. We're going to let you go. But we're going to keep it on your record, just as a warning that when you're driving to church hunting, you need to drive the speed limit. (laughs) Okay. When she's here, ask her for all of my unflattering driving illustrations. Two months later... You know what it's like. Four kids in the car. You're late to every appointment that day. You're coming back from a softball game. It's late. Dinner's waiting. She's in a 25 zone again. And she didn't notice, but the cop car is like right behind her. But she's cruising at 40 again. Woo! Pulls her over. Mrs. Evans? Do you know how fast you were going? I do. Um, it says here on the computer, back on April 15th, that at the other place, you were driving fast too. So, whereas the judge gave you a warning, but dropped the fine, I'm gonna, there's no warning this time. I'm going to fine you. You're guilty. That's kind of like Justification. We're guilty. I'm guilty. I'm guilty from my birth. Not just of speeding, but of, of, of rebelling against the authority and lordship of God. And yet God in His mercy says to me, an undeserving sinner, 
who is guilty this morning. Do you understand? I'm saying to you that the guy speaking to you is guilty. I'm a sinner. In His mercy, He says to me, I think of you as righteous, blameless, holy. That's what justification means. Not that I'm innocent, righteous, holy, blameless in myself. In myself, I'm guilty. But in Christ, I'm Yes! It is amen. And whatever else we say, hallelujah, and let's worship. Because what the Galatians were in danger of forgetting. That's what Peter didn't forget, but chose to live differently. He chose not to apply the truth that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. We must, second point this morning, is we must understand the truth of our justification or acceptance through faith in Jesus Christ. We must not only apply the gospel to our lives, we must understand how this particular truth, the truth of our acceptance through faith in Christ, the truth of our righteousness through faith in Christ, the truth of our justification, to use Paul's language, through faith, we must understand it. See, I used to think that God counted me righteous and accepted me completely because Christ cleanses me from my sin and removes all my sinful thoughts and, and actions. And so when He looks on me, he sees, he sees someone who's actually righteous because I've been cleansed. When I was converted, remembering that moment, I did ask Jesus to forgive me and it was a glorious moment. I remember this today. I'd heard the Gospel. I heard that I was a sinner. I heard that God's wrath was upon my sin because His judgment is righteous and true. And so I confessed to my, my sins, particularly uh, those sins I was highlighting in that moment. I realized I was a sinner. I received by faith Christ and His cross, His death, His resurrection for my forgiveness. I remember that, that moment. I remember my first taste of, of forgiveness. I remember that moment when I was born again. I remember believing the gospel, but, but I didn't really understand until much later that, that the righteousness that He gifted me in that moment with the justification that He declared over my life, the reckoning, the counting of me as holy and innocent and blameless was not because He cleansed me and I became actually righteous. He gifted me with righteousness because... God's grace is amazing. In other words, I was still a sinner when He declared me in Christ righteous. See, I think we forget that. I forget that. God gives His gift of righteousness freely to undeserving sinners who by faith receive Jesus Christ, His cross and empty tomb, Salvation. We must understand the truth of our justification through faith in Christ. So how do we go about growing in our understanding? Well, at Crossway, one of the ways we're seeking to grow in our understanding of this great truth is to renew our mind daily in it. And by renewing our mind, I mean renew our mind throughout the day in it. We have to do this. It might surprise you, but I'm not, I'm not only late to church meetings, but I'm often late to return my library books. 
And so when I return my library books to the Attleboro Library, I always have to pay my fines. It's kind of a pitiful but re repeated moment. There's the librarian, big smile. Hello, Mr. Evans, how are you? And there's my stack of books. Often, they're not all my books. Some are my kids. And I just say, what do I owe? What do I owe? You know, one by one by one by one, the 10 cent fines add up. And, uh, and then I ask sheepishly, you know, I know I'm a chronic, you know, repeat offender. Can I renew these books? And she says, why, sure. Your fines are paid. And so she takes each book. I mean, we're, we're catching up to the 20th century in Attleboro, apparently, and she stamps it with that little ink stamp, the new date, and sticks the card in. So I pay my fine, I get my books stamped, and I take my books home to my, my family. I think that's a picture of what it means to renew our minds. I think we make the choice to bring our minds to the great librarian, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, God. And we take this scripture and we say, Lord, I want you to stamp this scripture on my mind. Right here. Stamp it right here. Now, he's not just going to stamp it like out of the air. He wants me to do some things. Paul said to the Romans, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, as I bring my mind to him, he wants me to bring his truth to me. And so I take verse 16, and I, I just, I, I memorize it, or I meditate it, I I, I think about it slowly and I write it out perhaps in a journal repetitively or I put it in my own words and I, and I write, I know, I know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. I know that. Then maybe I ask myself a question. Do I believe that? Do I believe that? Do I believe that right now in my parenting where I'm having to go back to my son again and confess your daddy was angry again at your failure to clean your room in a timely way? Do I believe? Do I believe that my acceptance with God is through faith in Jesus Christ or do I believe that God accepts me when I'm a patient parent only and motivate my kids to do what maybe they don't want to do by grace? Do I believe that in my marriage? I believe that in my marriage, when, when my wife is with tears running down her face, saying, honey, your scheduling is, is, is hurting us. You're over-planning. You're, 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 you're putting church ahead of me, and you're putting, you're putting church ahead of kids. And all I can say is, guilty, guilty. I, you're right. I mean, I'm sorry, but in, in that moment, I'm aware... I, I, I feel guilty before God. I feel like I've done this before. Have you ever done something before in your marriage and you know you're guilty again? And it's not just you've hurt your spouse, but you're like, oh God, I've, I've sinned against you again. What do I believe in that moment? I believe that my acceptance from God is based on being a, a careful planner in my marriage. When conflict erupts because my planning is so poor, or do I believe that whether I'm a good planner or a bad planner, I don't plan at all. My standing, my acceptance, my forgiveness with God 
is through faith in Christ. Really, functionally, what do I believe in that moment? Here's the proof. My wife should be able to observe, not conviction, because I have sinned against her, but joy in the conviction. My wife should be able to observe, or my kids should be able to observe, confession, expression of humility, but peace. God is not angry with me. Conviction, yes, because He loves me and disciplines those He loves, but not a withdrawal of His affection, not a removal of His presence, not a rejection of my status as His Son. Why? Because I am justified not by works of the law, but through what? Faith in Jesus Christ. See, this truth, this truth, not only needs to be understood, I have to Renew my mind in it daily so that I apply it during my day when I am tempted to justify myself before God and others based on my works. As I renew my mind throughout the day, stamping the truth of the Gospel upon my heart with the help of the Holy Spirit, there will be peace in my conscience. There will be growing joy in my heart. There will be freedom from slavish devotion to any law of God or any law I create because I know God loves His undeserving sinner because of Christ. He counts Him righteous and acceptable through faith. We must understand the truth of justification through faith. Final point. We must renew our faith daily in our justification by God by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Paul writes in verse 16, not only did he know, did we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but look at the last part of verse 16. We also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith and not by works of law. Do you see where Paul makes it now personal? You know, he knows this. He's not only theologically convinced of this, he believes it. He's committed his life to it. He wholeheartedly puts his trust in it. He believes in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Do you see the order there? He believes in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ. In other words, in other words, friends, it's the object of Paul's faith. Christ Jesus that justifies him. It's the fact that his faith is in the person of Jesus Christ. This, this, this living, breathing, ruling person that justifies him. I think one of the false gospels that is circulating in among some evangelicals, perhaps this evangelical, is we don't put our faith in Christ we put our faith in faith. We put our faith in our faith. In other words, where's the accent? Is it faith in Jesus Christ? Or is it faith in Christ that I'm justified? Do you see the difference? We put our faith in faith, and this is how it works out sometimes in my life. I've heard it in other lives too. Is they feel or believe that they are as accepted as they observe their faith to be strong. 
They feel God accepts them. They feel God approves of them. They feel God declares them righteous if they observe that their faith is strong. But if their faith is weak in Christ, if their faith is diminishing, but it's still in Christ, if their faith is, is lame, but it's in Christ, they feel that somehow God, well, God can't possibly accept me because my faith is weak. You see, we, we put our faith in faith. I think sometimes as charismatic, and I am a continuationist charismatic, there's been some unhelpful teaching about faith. Almost as it, become, it can almost become a form of slavery, which is what Paul's trying to rescue the Galatians from as a form of slavery. Not to faith in faith, but to faith in circumcision or faith in keeping the food laws so that God will completely save you and accept you. But I'm a modern day Judaizer. And I put my faith in faith. And so if my faith is feeling strong, I feel God approves of me. But my faith through the trial buffeted. My, my body is sick or I'm facing death or uncertainty. My job is leaving me or my church is going through trials. To pass. And my faith in God begins to falter. I begin to wonder, does God still accept me? Love me? Approve of me? See what's happening? My faith's not in Christ. It's in my faith. And how I feel about it. Wish uh, our Puritan friend was here, as I have a Puritan quote. Maybe Jeff sent it to me. But we're not the first generation to put our faith in faith instead of faith in Christ. This is what Thomas Watson wrote in his book, The Body of Divinity, as he was seeking to pastor his church. If you have faith, Though but in its infancy, be not discouraged. For a little faith is faith, as a spark of fire is fire. A weak faith may lay hold on a strong Christ, as a weak hand can tie the knot in marriage as well as a strong one. She in the Gospel who but touched Christ Fetched virtue from him. Let's leave that up for a moment. The picture Watson is painting is, is faith is like a hand. And he's describing a, a hand that is weak, lame, crippled, failing with, for strength. But if that weak, lame hand but touches Contrast that with the notion that my hand must be strong in order to grasp Christ. My faith must be full in order to be saved by Christ. My faith must feel firm if I'm to be approved by Christ. See how oppressive that is. And yet, we know too that faith, whether it be weak or strong, it is given by the Holy Spirit. And the faith He gives always leads to Christ. I had a friend in college who was, a, well, as tall as my waist. He was the son of a dairy farmer. He got a scholarship to Bucknell for his wrestling. 
I don't know how a guy that's only as tall as my waist can get a scholarship for anything, but he, I, I foolishly shared that with him one time. You got a scholarship for wrestling? Oh, are you kidding me? He said, well, I'll wrestle you. I'm a tennis player, which you probably have already gleaned. And he's a wrestler, and so I got down, and he had to show me how I got on his back. And uh, I, I'm not kidding. Within like five seconds, I was tapping out. And I said, how did you do that? He said, it's all in the hands. I'm the son of a dairy farmer. And every morning at 5 o'clock, I get up and I milk the cows. We got, we got 200 cows. We're not buying those electric hoses. We're going to hand milk these things. And I milk the cows, me and my brothers. And over the years, my hands have gotten strong. So when he wrestles with those hands, this little midget guy, those hands, he gets your hands together and you can't do nothing because he just gets one of those paws on you and he grabs you and you're, you're just you're at his mercy because his hands are so strong. When he's wrestling, his coach says, Brian, use the hands! Use the hands! Use the hands! And that's why he did very well in Division II wrestling. He had strong hands. I have good news this morning. You'll have to have strong hands to lay hold of Christ in order to receive His acceptance. It's not about your hands. It's about what your faith, the hand of your faith is touching, is resting on, moment by moment, day by day, week by week, hour by hour. Is my faith in Jesus Christ or is my faith in faith? Application. Take an area of your life Take any area of your life. In your relationship with God, perhaps you've been busy, you feel as if you've been unfaithful, neglecting your spiritual disciplines. Perhaps in your relationship, if you're single, how you're, how you're managing the priorities of your life, your time. Perhaps you've been convicted of, 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 of selfishness. Or you're married, you're being convicted of selfishness and it's being expressed through anger and patience. Isolation. Your handling of your finances. Perhaps you've been a poor manager. God's convicting you of, of covetousness or, or foolish planning. In your evangelism, you haven't shared the gospel in over a month. In your battle with sin, take any area, take any area of your life and ask yourself, ask yourself this question. Do I believe that I am justified, accepted, approved by faith in Christ or by the works of the law. If your faith, if your weak hand of faith is touching Christ in that area, Paul says, rejoice. Rejoice that we who have believed in Christ Jesus are justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. We must renew our faith every day in our justification by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. If we are Christians who are going to live free from guilt due to sin, we place our faith every day 
in our justification through Christ. We must apply the truth of the Gospel to our lives. We must understand the truth of our justification as it is taught in Scripture through faith in Jesus Christ. And we must renew our faith every day in our acceptance by God through faith in Jesus Christ. I have to repaint my kitchen this summer. But I'm realizing in some ways I have to relay a foundation in my soul as well. When I repaint my kitchen, we're going to make sure, hey, is the first coat dry before we bring the color? Because if it ain't dry, that second coat's going to be peeling. And we're going to look pretty silly. Is the foundation of grace firmly established in your life? Is it? If it is, then then you are ready to build on that foundation with those works, if you will, God is calling you. But if it's not, then friend, I would ask you to pause and pray and with the help of pastor and friends, revisit your foundation. So that whatever obedience God is calling you to, and He is calling us to obey, it is only from that place, that, that freeing place, that joyful place, that peaceful place of knowing nothing I do, nothing I do will add to my acceptance before God. Only Christ, His righteousness through faith, is my hope. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for this central truth of the Gospel. I thank You for how I need to be reminded regularly that I am not justified nor accepted by God through works. I am justified, accepted, fully pardoned through faith in Christ Jesus. Thank You for the gift of Christ Jesus who is our righteousness through whom we receive these blessed gifts of salvation. We give You glory, Lord Jesus, for Your saving grace. And it's in Your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Bauer, for that message and reminding us of, uh, of our tendency to put faith really in ourselves when it comes down to it. Uh, as, as we sing this final song called Grace Unmeasured, I, I hope and I pray that it's a reminder as, as we sing it and express it with our voices and our bodies that um, grace is, in fact, something that is, is totally undeserved uh, and is given to us. And so I pray that as we sing this, uh, it might become... Those truths might become all the more apparent to us.